Hello and welcome to the Race to Speak Up podcast. I am your host, Devin Moore. Today's guest is Sabrina Guo. Sabrina is a rising high school senior from Long Island. Sabrina is the founder and CEO of Girl Pride International, a global nonprofit that uplifts marginalized refugee and migrant girls through, through advocacy, education, leadership, and material support. She is also the founder of Long Island Laboring Against COVID-19, or LILAC, a COVID relief organization that donates PPE, meals, and funds, specifically helping disproportionately affected predominantly PLC areas. I actually met Sabrina at the Princeton Prize and Race Relations Ceremony in Manhattan, and guys, what an amazing evening it was. To be among such outstanding honorees is very inspiring. Now, welcome, Sabrina. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me here. Yeah, thank you for joining me. So, um, well, first off, congrats on being chosen as an um, honoree for the Princeton Prize in Race Relations. I know. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it was so good. Um, I mean, so I know I'm beyond grateful for that. So just wanted to quickly say that. <laughs> Now, it's always great to see another young changemaker who is making positive, you know, impact in our community. So tell us, how did your journey begin with community service and social justice? Right. Well, my social activism and humanitarian journey started around the time that I, I learned so much about the Syrian refugee crisis in 2018 from the news. It was all over the TV. Um, and I, I was covering the Syrian refugee war, particularly its profound impact on children's lives as a young journalist. And so I deeply connected and became friends with several war-torn uh, female Syrian refugee artists living in camps in Jordan. and this this juxtaposition with my own life which itself was determined by a lottery of birth over which i had no control um, profoundly stirred my compassion to action and so i decided to spearhead a refugee project with the international children's literary and arts magazine stone soup which several years later now has become an international portal that showcases the inspiring work of refugee children all over the world um, and then i also created the crossing borders pen pal program, which connects US students with young Syrian girls, uh, helping girls worldwide realize that their pen pal is more alike than different. And so after I led my peers in several crossing borders workshops here in Nassau County, the program director in Jordan, her name is Laura, she works with the Syrian girls. Uh, she wrote to me, these letters, they're literally lifelines for the girls. And that, that really just further motivated me to continue doing that all I do and, and to lead more youth to reach our goals. Um, but there is also one other instance that I want to mention. Um, so when my family traveled to China, uh, I was nine years old at the time. Um, we were on vacation visiting Shenyang where most of my relatives lived. And we passed an orphanage on the street. And I became really curious. Um, so my family went in and we met a few of the kids and I began asking a lot of questions to my parents. I, I was nine. I was like, why, why are they here? What happened to them? What, what are their stories? And then I remember a teacher coming out and to my surprise, she was an American. And, and so we started talking in English and then I sort of had a little bit of an epiphany and I thought, 
um, could we bring food for the children? Could we bring toys? And I remember convincing my parents to help. And so we left and came back with supplies and I got to talk to the children some more. Um, then we left, but I, I really couldn't get the orphanage out of my mind. So my parents adjusted our trip and we returned twice more during our short stay. So I guess you could say that was a little bit of the start of it all when I was nine. <laughs> no, I love that. That's such a good story. Cause I'm like, there's so many, I like how there's so many different like components to it. And I like how, you know, you saw the problem, you thought to yourself, well, one, this is a problem and I want to learn more about it. And then you are handling it. Like that's where you, that's where it sparked up. So I really, I really like that. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, so I know you, well, okay. So what's your ethnic background? Well, I'm the daughter of two Chinese immigrants. Okay. So have you, well, this is going to be a question I know you'll probably be able to really answer, but um, have you personally experienced Asian discrimination? Yes, I have. Um, well, we all know that, first of all, discrimination targeting Asian Americans isn't new, but the significant uh, rise in AAPI resentment and prejudice was made apparent to me when, while donating meals and PPE to a COVID hospital, um, I was flipped off and verbally assaulted by a passerby couple. And I was also in the middle of an interview. Um, there was like a big camera, so they knew I was doing something. <laughs> and at that moment, I, I felt a mix of anger and a little bit of fear. And, but, but however traumatizing that experience was, it only further galvanized me to kind of lead the charge and stand up for others in my community. Do you, I mean, it's not, like you said, it's nothing new. Like, do you feel anything for that? I know, obviously we may feel sad, but we're so used to it. Do you feel like really used to that when you keep seeing it on social media and all these different things in different areas? I mean, I think that because of COVID and a lot of, you know, miscommunication and just the polarization in the U.S. currently, I think that there's, we're, as a nation, we need to be more unified and to, to really cross borders and connect to others who may not look the same as us, who have different backgrounds, cultures. I think that this, this, this unity is especially critical to fight against prejudice, which is really deeply rooted in the foundation of, of America. And, and I just think that, you know, we need a, a collective front. We need to show appreciation, support, and, and solidarity. And there's a lot of grassroots organizations, individuals all out there who are, who are doing this. Um, I think that in order to fight this, this, this sort of feeling that you mentioned of people being used to these kinds of prejudices and also microaggressions, which most people are, are used to, and they happen in schools, et cetera. I just think that we need to collectively be more aware. Um, and also school education is especially critical for youths growing up to understand that, you know, this is not right. I shouldn't be treated this way. Um, and those, yeah, those are just some things I think we can collectively do. Yeah, I completely agree. I love how you give those solutions. I completely agree because I think, I already said that, but I think that coming together and like working towards the solution or working towards 
some change, some like good change to benefit everyone in a light that will actually help everyone. I think that's the best way to do it. I mean, one person can make a change, but why not multiple people coming together? You know, why not multiple people? But um, so now let's go back to LILAC, um, which again stands for the Long Island Laboring Against COVID-19. So tell us more about that. Yeah, so I'm the founder and executive director of Long Island Laboring Against COVID-19, or LILAC. Uh, we're a COVID-19 relief organization that combats medical racism, and it's it's also an anti-hate division of GoPri International, uh, particularly fighting against API hate and discrimination. Um, we also donate PPEs, meals, and our Thank You and We Care initiative donates uplifting artworks, calligraphy pieces, uh, letters, other forms of media, like, like videos of music performances and more to boost the morale of our communities during this trying time. Um, I founded this in the March of 2020, just before the peak of the pandemic hit the first epicenter in the US, namely New York City and Long Island. And it was, it was founded as an immediate response to uh, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio's public outcry on March 23rd. Um, he was pleading for hundreds of thousands of masks as quickly as possible. And I remember him saying, if, if they don't come this week, we'll come to a point where people can't be saved who could have been saved. And that really struck me because, you know, he's basically saying that lives are going to be lost and we could have saved them. And um, around then also WHO announced on the 11th that it's, it's a global pandemic. Um, it's a national emergency. And then my school shut down on the 19th. So I went to work immediately and launched a GoFundMe campaign and created a Lilac Instagram on the 23rd. Um, and as we kind of mentioned, and I want to mention again, uh, part of the reason that I started this campaign isn't just to donate uh, PPEs and meals to, to those who, who need them, but also to combat the rising anti-Asian sentiment and biases associated with the virus's origin. And uh, I truly believe that we need to unite communities instead of instead of dividing them um, and that everyone needs to be willing to put in the time, action, and the conviction um, into what they do and also the resources behind their conviction. And I, I was really hoping that my peers and my friends would follow. And wow, they, they sure did. Um, not just that many joined Lilac, but many also joined many other youth organizations that was launched around the same time or after and also just doing a lot of inspiring and empowering things for their community. See, it really is so good to like meet you because like you're someone that's in my or more so in my like immediate community doing that. So it's so nice to see another person like me who's making a positive change or showing how you race to speak up, how you're making that positive change and working towards this, I'm gonna use this word again, solution. We really need that. Now, um, and I know you mentioned Girl Pride International. Why don't you folk, or tell us more about that? Yes, so Girl Pride International um, is an international 501c3 global girls empowerment organization that I launched in 2018, whose mission is to serve socioeconomically disadvantaged refugee, migrant, and displaced girls through advocacy, education, leadership and community building projects. 
and transform them into leaders within their own communities and really empower the next generation of girls. Um, so initially the idea for GPI came in response to the student refugee crisis, as I said, which I was covering as a young journalist. Um, I became connected, deeply connected with young female Syrian refugee filmmakers who were living in camps in Jordan through many conversations and interviews. Um, and I, after connecting with them, I asked myself, why was their life so difficult and what could I do to help? Um, and as I mentioned, we established the Crossing Borders International Power Program, which connects American students with Syrian refugee girls living in Jordan and migrant children from Central America. And so through writing, we build mutual acceptance and respect, um, helping each girl realize that their pen pal is not so different from them. And so in this way, GPI empowers um, girls across cultures to become female leaders who then empower girls within their own communities. And um, so I, I'm still really connected with um, a few of the Syrian refugee girls who, who I interviewed and, and talked to. Um, and I'm just forever grateful to have developed lifelong relationships with such ambitious and, and strong women. Um, and, and for the past four years, I've, I've really worked to help give these girls uh, an opportunity to reclaim their stories from journalists who, as outsiders, are sometimes ill-equipped for the nuanced reality of, of camps and instead focusing solely on disruption and, and tragedy when these girls have their own aspirations, goals, and dreams. Um, and we've helped through collective, uh, collaborative fundraising efforts to help these girls continue learning in, in storytelling and, and filmmaking workshops so they can tell their own stories. How do you think, um, or how do you think other people can support refugees or support immigrants? Yeah, I think that it, well, first of all, it really depends on each each refugee or each immigrant's own own situation. But I think that there's a lot of organizations out there who are trying to um, help give refugees and, and immigrants a, a voice. For example, the Another Kind of Girl Collective, whom I worked with to connect Syrian refugee girls from their collective to American students here. They've been holding filmmaking and um, storytelling workshops for many years. And I think that's just really important to have these initiatives and organizations that um, builds, help, help these girls tell their own narrative, their, their own stories. I think it's important for the world to really understand that, you know, these, 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 these girls, they're, they're, they're passionate beings full of hope and dreams and aspirations. I think that's a there's a stereotype out there that I think we really need to break. Uh, and of course, there's also organizations that um, accept money um, to, to help provide these immigrants and, and refugees relief. Um, I think those are great organizations to look into and potentially donate to, as well as other organizations that help them build their own voice, which I also think is a very important aspect. Well, Sabrina, I mean, you're doing so much through Girl Pride International and Lilac. I mean, I'm just, I'm so like, 
I'm, I think I'm at a little bit of a loss of words because I wish I knew about you before the Princeton Prize in Race Relations so that I could get connected with you because, you know, I would have loved to known about this, like for, or I know you said you started um, like before the pandemic or like the peak of the pandemic. So, yeah, Lilac, Girl Pride was before that in 2018, yeah. Exactly, that's when I started uh, Race to Speak Up. I'm like, I would have oh, no. known you. <laughs> I would have loved, loved to know you then because that would have been so cool. But um, I'm glad I know you now, now though, obviously. Yeah. So um, you're doing so much now. What are your career goals? <laughs> I don't probably um, have a lot. What are your career goals? Oh goodness, career goals. Uh, first of all, I'm not like fully decided yet. Um, but some things I'm open to are like law. Maybe it's it's a job I think that I can really give back to where I can give back to my community and also uh, protect people, especially the marginalized or the vulnerable populations. Um, but no matter what job or career I, I go into, I, I know for sure that I want to use my 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 talents, my platforms, and the resources around me, and the partnerships I've developed with stakeholders to, to continue to fight the bridge, uh, uh, to fight to bridge the gender gap and to advance racial equity and justice, particularly for minority women and the API communities. Um, holistically, I am intrigued by the way law governs and, and shapes our society and how we can use legislations and public policies to change people's lives for the better, especially for the underprivileged POC communities in, in New York and beyond. Is law something that you'd like to study in college? I know you're looking into colleges as well right now. Right. Um, I Yeah, it's something definitely open right now. I'm not like fully committed, but it's something I'm really interested in, yeah. Awesome. What colleges are you looking at? Um, I mean, it's uh, not. <laughs> I'm going to give you an answer that that is. I'm not entirely sure <laughs> because what college I go to really depends on like what I want to do, whether it's law or or something else in the humanities or something like that. Um, yeah, it just really depends on what field I want to go into. Every school kind of specializes in certain things. So I'm not entirely sure as of right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I get it. And I get yeah. that. I understand what you're saying as far as law. I know I could definitely use my um, platforms and talents and, you know, being able to speak up and stand up for another person is something that I'm all about. I know, you know, we need to give a voice to those who are unheard in any way that we can and help others in any way that we can, or at least any way that I can, you know? So right. I'm like, law is such a perfect field for that. But then something else, because I'm going to go to the University of Maryland in College Park, so. But, um, <laughs> so um, I'm going to, or as of right now, I'm, I'm thinking about studying psychology. Um, just because I really am someone who's into mental health. I mean, I think we might be able to see that as far as my organization and I mean, I work with psychiatrists. I've met with other mental health workers and they just kind of opened my eyes. And then as far as just bullying in general, I always want to dive deep into the person's mind to figure out whether it be um, the target of bullying. How do you feel after you've gone through that bullying? How can I help you cope? How can I help you, you know, support you in any way? Or mm -hmm. diving into the bully's mind. Because oftentimes when it comes to bullying, I, um, that mentality comes from the 
the home environment or the environment that you're mainly in. So that's just something that I really like diving into. I like understanding people, if that makes sense. And I think okay. that's why it's so perfect for me to have, be on a podcast and learn more about other people, other change makers like yourself, because it's just so interesting to see how you're able to help others and how many people you're helping. And speaking of how, you know, busy you are, (laughs) what do you do in your free time? Um, I'm actually, I I love to write. Um, I'm currently busy working on a poetry manuscript, uh, my poetry chapbook. First one, it's, it's to be published towards the end of the summer or beginning of fall, which is super exciting. I'm very excited. (laughs) It's, It's going to be published under the Children's Art Foundation. Um, so I'm currently working with my editor on that. Um, there's also a, a YA sci-fi sort of novel that I'm working on to be published next year. Um, I, I won an international uh, book contest, publishing contest um, a few years ago. And it's, it's something I've been, it's an ongoing project I've been working on and COVID has kind of slowed it a little bit down. But um, yeah, I'm currently focusing on my poetry manuscript, but the, no- the novel I'm hoping to publish next year. Well, that, that's amazing. Like, <laughs> I love how you. you're like, you know, I'm, I'm poetry. Like, I, love <laughs> I love that because I'm also someone who's really into poetry. I um, actually am, so this is my, technically my third year in a row. It would have been fourth, but COVID, so technically third year in a row. Uh, making it to nationals for something called AXO, which is the, it's really long. It stands for the Afro-Academic, Cultural, Technological, and Scientific. Yeah. So <laughs> that's dealing with the NAACP. So I'm seeing a lot of amazing Black youth showing off their talents when it comes to poetry. Like with me and my poems, I talk a lot about race. I talk about sexuality. And uh, my poem for um, my last year of AXO in 2022 this year, um, I'm going to be talking in that poem, talking about this boy who sees the beauty in people and he looks, he purposely looks past all the negativity. And that just directly relates to me because I hate looking at the negative in people. I love seeing the beauty and I love uplifting people. I love like helping others and like talking to them. And I want, I, I really want to get to know people and I really want to understand people. So that's kind of more of what the poem's about. So I can definitely understand the love for poetry and just writing and kind of like all That's that. Great. Yeah, I think poetry, I think poetry is, it's, it's really important. Um, I, I've been writing since I was like nine, nine or 10. And I actually was a leading contributor to Stone Soup, which is um, how I kind of became connected with the CEO and launched into all my social activism work. Um, I think that poetry through advocacy is especially important. And um, I'm, I'm very grateful to say that I had the opportunity to speak out against climate injustice and perform my winning poetry in the UN um, Climate Change Conference, COP26 in the UK. Um, so that, that was a really incredible opportunity for me and really showed how, how powerful words, words are um, in, in the uh, activism space. Um, and, and I'm also, um, some, some, a few more up exciting upcoming events. Um, I'm also a social science, uh, researcher. Um, so I have a, a few public health conferences coming up. Um, I'll be presenting my findings on mask efficacy and also telemedicine. 
um, in reducing neonatal deaths during this pandemic. Those are my two studies. I'll be presenting my findings in the 2022 International Conference on Public Health. Um, I'm very grateful to say that my research was also published in the Pre-Collegiate Global Health Review, which is a journal affiliated with Johns Hopkins University. Um, I, I was also a winner of the 2022 Harvard Community Pitch Competition, which was presented by the Harvard Global Health Institute. So I think that all of these like research, poetry, and, and um, social activism, things like really, really intersect and kind of transform me into who I am. Yeah. Well, you tell them, Sabrina. <laughs> I'm sitting here, like, listening to all these awards you got. I'm like, yeah, you keep on mentioning them. I love them. <laughs> Thank you. Tell, I, tell us more about the conference in the UK. Yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was, I was so, so honored and, and just beyond grateful. I mean, that, that was, um, so basically, I, I won a, um, I won a poetry to solve the climate change uh, crisis contest and um, that I so I was invited to speak out against climate justice and perform my winning poetry um, in the 2021 United Nations climate change conference and essentially, of course, it was it was virtual. Um, but uh, that was such an just such an exciting and and really empowering and I remember I was really nervous because um, I performed in front of uh, like a hundred world leaders and, and 30,000 delegates I remember that um, and in the poetry contest I, I entered um, received submissions from poets aged 7 to 25 from 23 countries worldwide um, so it's I'm just incredibly honored to be able to be um, representing Oyster Bay and and the U.S. in in the um, in COP26. Uh, yeah, it was just such an, an empowering event. And um, David Attenborough, he's a, a UK natural historian. He's such such an incredible man. Um, he reflected on on my poetry and said some very very nice things. Um, Maybe I'll I'll be able to find it. It was so, so inspiring that I I actually wrote a like response poem. Um, he he said this. He said a mini epic that charts the changes that have are and that may happen over the generations. The grand narrative that all alive now play a part in. There is suffering here, but also that vital force, hope, as we glimpse an aspirational future. Um, so that was his 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 uh, response to um, our our poetry. That was actually sorry. That was by Johnny Hughes, who's the director of the film that accompanied Sir David's speech. Um, but all in all, it was just such an incredible experience, once in a lifetime. So I'm beyond grateful. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see why. I can see why. <laughs> so Sabrina, I well, I know you have a lot of accomplishments, but um, I want to ask you, what's been What's been the most challenging part of your journey? And then also what's been the most rewarding part of your journey? Yeah, good question. Um, I think that, well, let's start with most challenging and then we'll end with most rewarding. <laughs> um, so most challenging, I think would be, especially with Lilac, um, donating PPEs in the beginning, especially during the height of pandemic, um, there was a risk involved of not only 
my own health, but also the, the lives of my, my family members. And this also goes for um, other lilac families as well. Uh, for example, both of my parents have underlying conditions and in the beginning of the pandemic, we knew thousands did. Um, and so it was, it was a very difficult situation for us to move forward. Um, and that's why we took, of course, all the precautions. Um, another challenge was in the beginning, PPE prices were like skyrocketing. Um, they were so, so expensive. Um, and I remember, um, well, while I'm, we're very grateful to have received about like 10,000, um, donate uh, $10,000 in donations to our GoFundMe within like the first two weeks, um, it still wasn't enough for these expensive PPEs. And ultimately, I, I made the decision of um, donating my college savings as well as other, other uh, prize money I got from several of my writing competitions. Um, and I remember convincing my parents um, to make that decision. It, it was a very difficult decision. They were not very willing at first, especially because, I mean, the economy was like collapsing. And I managed to convince them to donate uh, $41,050 uh, from my college savings and also other uh, prize money I've won. Um, and that really, really helped, I think, not, not just to purchase PPEs, but also to kind of motivate others to also make their own contribution. Because as I said in GoFundMe, this, this was a personal tribute of mine to the healthcare workers and first responders, essential workers and, and non-essential workers who are battling, battling um, the pandemic and trying to save as many, as many really strangers as they could. So I think that tribute of mine, that, that personal sacrifice really motivated others to contribute as well and many um, members to join. Um, another one, another challenging moment as far as GoPro International, um, you know, we, we've worked with a lot of refugee girls um, and there's a lot of trauma and just horrific um, events that, that, that go on. I mean, they, I, a few of the refugee girls who I'm connected with, they've lost their siblings to, to war and they've seen loved ones die in front of them. They, they have told me about this perpetual fear of, you know, I'm, I'm under this roof, but I don't know when a bomb is going to come down and perhaps wipe out like half of my family. Um, and I remember I had to postpone an interview uh, with a, a Syrian refugee girl uh, for a couple months before, before one of the, the two refugees lost another one of her brothers. Um, and at that time, I, I, was, I was a 12 to 13 year old girl interviewing them. So I had to be very sensitive and, and um, very understanding, not, not really understanding because I, I can never understand everything they've gone through, but just, just be, yeah, be very sensitive and just know that there's a lot that they're facing. Um, so it, um, yeah, and just listening to them tell their own stories is, is very different from hearing it on the news. And there was also a language barrier. Um, I, I don't speak Arabic, uh, but I'm very grateful that it, they had a translator there who was able to translate um, the interviews. Uh, so that's a language barrier. And I mean, just in general, all of this, this, this death was, it, it, it was such a, um, 
eye-opening and, and, and just challenging time for, for them and also for me to kind of grasp a little bit as a, as a 12 to 13 year old. And also even in our own, own hometown, uh, we, we know from uh, reports that there's, there's um, that elderly people are especially affected by COVID. Um, and there's about an 80% 80 ch 80 chance, I remember, for, for elderly who are incubated to, to pass away. And I just remember that in my first ever donation event to a nursing home as part of Lilac, um, when I brought the box of the PPEs to the front, I saw this elderly woman being carried out of the nursing home on a gurney loaded into the back of an ambulance. And she was hooked up to a ventilator. Um, and she was only like five or six feet away from me. And I mean, she, she looked lifeless. It, it was such an eye, it was so shocking to me because I knew that, you know, there's, she's an elderly, you know, they're disproportionately affected. Um, there's a great chance that she may not survive. And that was my first ever event um, to donate PPEs during this pandemic. So it, it kind of really opened my eyes and, and, and uh, further motivated me to continue donating to, to places, et cetera. What, well, first my prayers go out to all of them, but um, so I know you just told me the challenges, but what about the rewards? So as far as the most rewarding uh, parts of my journey, um, I think there's been many great memories uh, made and all of us have learned so much. Um, but one of our Girl Pride International programs, uh, the Girl Pride Ambassador Scholarship Program, is, is something that's really dear to my heart. Um, to quote the Girl Pride International Samburu uh, liaison in, in Kenya, um, who is the head teacher of the Remote Primary School in the Samburu region of Kenya, uh, he said, the Girl Pride Ambassador Scholarship Program is changing the lives of these highly motivated students who, um, who live with extremely limited resources and yet have the greatest ambitions to help their own communities. And in fact, that brings me to an amazing story, um, which you may have heard of Devin, I talked about in the Princeton Prize Award Ceremony. Um, so it, it's the story of uh, the 11 year old um, Lisado. She's, she's the top of her fifth grade class in Kenya and GPI was able to work with the headmaster of Lisano's primary school um, as soon as we learned that she was taken out of school during this pandemic and forced into a child marriage by her own father uh, to a 50-year-old man. And um, we, we fought hard with everything we got, including raising funds and, and hiring a local lawyer to fight the case in court. And, and we won. Um, and Lisano is, I mean, she's a young girl with a bright future ahead of her who, who almost became a victim of things beyond her control. But now she is a Girl Pride ambassador and on her way to become a lawyer uh, fighting for other girls in, in her country. And I, I want to really go, give just a little bit more context. I mean, this is, this is not, this wasn't an easy feat for any of us. Um, in Kenya, there's a deeply rooted culture of I mean, there's general mutilation, there's these child marriages and dropping out of school happen so often. Um, I mean, cows are our currency. 
and and I mean girls they're quite literally worth like livestock that's what their lives are worth um, as well as bees and beads and the other things so it's this I mean with this was a this was a really difficult feat and we're just so grateful that uh, we were able to help Lisano um, prevent her from dropping out of school and now she lives with her grandmother so it's really nice that she has a a like a maternal figure to uh, protect her and guide her um, uh, and something some other things that I've learned um, well first through the intervention we've had with Lisano we've learned that when we empower one individual that can really create a glimmer of hope um, that can transform into a current of change I mean she wants to become a lawyer to also empower other girls around her so that's really really great um, so that she feels empowered to do the same for other girls in their community um, other rewarding experiences Oh, in the beginning of uh, when I first founded Girl Pie International in 2018, at that time I had also written uh, to Miss Michelle uh, Flotis Michelle Obama, and I, I wrote to her about some of some of my work, uh, including Crossing Borders Pen Pal program, and um, I not only got a phone call back from her office, but um, just. She, she actually also invited, invited me to her becoming book tour um, in the Barclays Center. So that was just a really empowering experience for me uh, because her Let Girls Learn initiative was actually one of the things that really spurred me into action and inspired me to found Go Pride International. Moments like when we donate artworks, we just see some, some teary eyes and also just faces filled with hope and, and gratitude. And that kind of emotional connection through art, whether it's through like our music performances or artworks, it's something that um, really touches the heart. And just it, that that kind of unity and appreciation and support for each other during this pandemic, um, it really touches me emotionally, and it does for all of our members. Um, and these are kind of the moments that will forever be ingrained in my memory and, and galvanize me not only to continue to do what GPI and LILAC uh, do, but also mobilize other youths to, to join me in raising funds, donating PPE, making art, and providing material and uh, emotional support to those who are most vulnerable. Well, Sab Sabrina, I mean, you, I'm just so happy to even like be talking to you right now. It's a really... <laughs> great things because I'm all, I'm looking back and I'm like yeah no like more people need to know about this and I see you're continuing to make that change so you know you have my support you know I'm gonna be staying on top of everything and like watching what you do um also like whenever you can please invite me to stuff because I'd love to go and see you speak and in, in action I know I went on your social media and I saw you like um a part well actually a lot of things that you told us about just all these different things so thank you for coming on and thank you for coming on this podcast and really just yeah. showing how you raised to speak up and sharing your journey thank you for your time thank you keep would in touch like your, oh I'm sorry oh I just said keep in touch <laughs> oh, yeah would you like to share your social media and and your websites yes for sure so um, GoPride International's uh, Instagram handle, do you want me to put it in chat or is saying it okay? You can say it. Okay, GoPride International's Instagram handle is at GirlPrideintl 
and um, our our website is girlpride.org, um, girlpride.org, and our uh, lilacs Instagram is l i l a c o v i d nineteen, and uh, our our website is lilacovid19.org. Um, my personal Instagram is sabrinag.u.o. Yes. And just once again, to spell Lilac's Instagram, because I know it's, it's, it's kind of hard to spell. It's lilacovid underscore 19. Awesome. Okay, well, thank you again. And thank you to everyone who is listening. I hope to see all of you at future Race to Speak Up podcasts. If you have ever, any questions about the Race to Speak Up podcast, feel free to contact me at racetospeakup at gmail.com. Make sure to follow Race to Speak Up on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for updates on future podcasts. Head over to my website, www.racetospeakup.com, and also join the Humanity Rising movement. Humanity Rising offers scholarships for students making a difference in the world through service. Go to www.humanityrising.org for more information, and remember to ask yourself this question. How do you race to speak up?